0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And to talk about the latest developments in this Joe Douglas story, we welcome in the man who is the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So, Chris, I understand you found some things out from your sauces (laughs)
0: <laughs> from from the sauces yeah uh you know th- obviously the jets went ahead and finally got joe douglas we've talked about this for a while his name has been thrown around since before mccagnon got fired so this isn't a surprise the jets got the guy that they wanted this was their number one target so uh the past couple weeks and the month of everyone saying the jets don't have a plan and this is who knows if the plan will work but they clearly had a plan, and they achieved that plan so far, at least the, the part of hiring the GM that they wanted. So they they had their eyes set on him from the start. He was the heavy favorite going in. We talked about this over and over again, and he, of course, got the job. Uh, one thing that I've been told is basically the same stuff I was here most of the time. Joe Douglas wanted this job as well. He did have a couple of things that were minor concerns, the potential holdups, whether, and part of that is a little bit of concern about the ownership situation, uh, would he coming back in 2020 possibly, what could happen there, but again, uh, he, any GM's going to have concerns going into it. It wasn't anything that they couldn't overcome, but that is the reason why you see he got a six-year deal because that number—that's a weird number. It's not a number you could three, four, five, no problem. It makes perfect sense. But the six-year deal is because the, nobody's paying a GM to go away for four or five years. So this gives him extra security. If they just gave him a four-year contract. They could fire him after the second year, or, and just pay you know, or second or third year, just give him a pay him for one or two seasons to go away. The six year deal makes that a lot more difficult for them. They're gonna, they would have to pay if they fired him after the third year. They'd still have to pay him for three years. That's not something that most people or most teams are gonna have to want to do. They're gonna have, it, they'd have to be in terrible shape at that point for that to happen. So they built in a little bit of extra security with him there on the, the, the sixth year. And then it, the main concern otherwise was just if they'd give him enough power and uh, sway to build his own staff, bring in the guys he wants to pay the guys he wants the money that they're going to need to be able to come out and uh, to join them because other people aren't going to want to, you know, accept that job and role unless they're getting a, a paid promotion as well. So that was a huge thing. And we have mentioned it briefly last night on the podcast, but the Adam Schefter tweet about that every, you know, is making the rounds, people still poking at the Jets, about uh, how Douglas kept turning them down and then uh, the Jets kept calling back to him up in their offer. Yeah, that's how negotiations work. Uh, Schefter's tweet was technically right but it was it's a little misleading because it makes it seem like Joe Douglas was like, I, I don't want anything to do with this job. I just decided to take two rounds of interviews just for the hell of it. I don't actually want anything to do with this job. And the Jets kept begging him to come back. That's not what it was. It was just okay, the Jets gave him their opening offer. He said, that's not good enough. I need more. I need more for my staff. And then they went back again, still wasn't good enough. And then they went back again, and they were able to meet in the middle ground. And again, Joe Douglas is going to want as much money as he can possibly get. And the Jets are going to want to pay him at the least amount of money they possibly can. They met in the middle. That's how negotiations work. This is That's how it it goes. So um, that seems to be getting a little bit of attention right now. But that was just simple, normal negotiations.
2: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill.
1: Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News reporting that one of the major reasons that Douglas wanted the job is that he was very much looking forward to taking over a team that had Sam Darnold as its quarterback. Is that what you heard?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's definitely what it was. He, he. It's so much easier. The life of a GM is so much easier when you come into a situation knowing that quarterback is there. And right now you, you get, got the quarterback, you have some other pieces around, but now he can really go to work with the player evaluation. He can really go ahead and just look to add key pieces here and there, whether it's corner, safety, center, uh, depth on the offensive line. He could fill out those other holes. Those holes, we, we all know what those holes are. It's obvious. It's been obvious for a while it's much easier to go ahead and look to his free agency in the draft and be like, okay, we can fill these holes now when you already have the quarterback because that quarterback hole is different and much harder to fill. And it's absolutely the case that he wanted the the appeal of being able to be the GM with Sam Darnold in place. It was a huge part of the reason that got him here.
1: Worth pointing out that this is not the first time that he would have been coming in somewhere where he might have believed that the franchise quarterback was already in place. He took the job with the Eagles within a few weeks Of the 2016 draft So Carson Wentz had already been drafted I guess seeing what happened in Philly When he got there Carson Wentz developed And Philly went on to win a Super Bowl Obviously Nick Foles was the quarterback Through the playoff run But Wentz is the reason That they were the number one seed And were in position to make that Super Bowl run He probably looked at it as analogous situations Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, how can you not at that point, really? Uh, obviously, he's going to hope that that Sam is able to stay healthier than Carson Wentz has, but he, he obviously liked what he saw there, and again, he's sitting there, he comes in here now, he knows he has a, a, a good working relationship with Adam Gase, they have familiarity with each other, he has control that he wants he feels comfortable he has security with the years and that quarterback right there it was the perfect recipe for him and like i said it was he wanted this job he just it was one of those things he just wanted to make sure it wasn't going to be something small and dumb that was going to do it and then also part of him you know uh getting that deal and uh, being able to exercise that leverage, he, he's not a dumb man. He, he knows the situation, how everything played out. He knows, remember the report Manish had about uh, the Jets aren't happy about uh, the perceived notion that th- – that Douglas is the guy they've wanted all along. Well, yeah, they're not happy about that because Douglas knew that, and that that, is, that contributed to tougher negotiations. Douglas knew that he was their target, who they really wanted, so he had gave him more leverage to work with, which made the Jets have to pony up some more money.
1: Was there anything cooking with the Texans? Obviously, people put two and two together with the timing that Douglas is in the final stages and that maybe this was the Texans swooping in at the last second to try and get him. Also, putting together the fact that the Texans had tried to get Joe Douglas in the past and been denied by the Eagles. Was there anything to this? Did the Texans ever contact Douglas and his people, namely Jimmy Sexton, or was it just kind of coincidental?
0: It was coincidental from everything I've been told. The deal was pretty much done. I, they were fi- hammering out the fine details when the uh, the move in Texas was announced. Uh, also, now, they, they might have had uh, an inkling they might have realized that that move was happening because, like we talked about, uh, it, this was something that had been talked about with Houston. It's been talked about for a little while. So maybe there was some back-channel calls there but everything was set in motion. Douglas wanted this job. If, you know, if one of those hurdles weren't able to be cleared that we were talking about earlier, then maybe he would have gone to, he would be like, all right, well, and maybe it gave him a little bit more uh, to just knowing that. But even that, that would have to be from previous information, not from, when the firing was actually announced, because the deal was pretty much in place, and they were just working on tightening it up and everything, and announcing being able to announce it before uh, the Texans even actually officially fired him.
3: This is
1: the Overtime Podcast Network. The reporting structure is going to stay the same, though, reportedly, with Christopher Johnson overseeing Douglas and Gase separately. They will be reporting separately. It's not going to be a situation where Gase reports to Douglas. The Jets are still kind of asking for trouble with that, aren't they? Why wouldn't Douglas demand a different reporting structure?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the reason why he wouldn't demand that is because this is something that, isn't unheard of in the NFL. This is a, a fairly common way that they do it. Um, I still think it's it's silly and it's ridiculous. I think you you shouldn't do it this way. Um, but I guess they they do it so that the coach doesn't feel like he's a direct employee underneath. I don't know, but this is a kind of a philosophy that the NFL, a lot of NFL teams have. I don't agree with it. It doesn't make sense to me. Cause like we've talked about countless times on this podcast, you're just inviting drama and you're inviting trouble. Even if it's just like, because of, uh, people misinterpreting things, you're just inviting it. You're inviting that, uh, all types of drama and speculation and maybe just, dist- uh, fueling distrust between each other. It just doesn't make sense. So, but they're going to keep doing it. A lot of other play people, teams are doing it. It's not that unheard of, so it's just something that we're going to have to deal with because uh, both Johnsons have talked about. They, they have no real thought in changing this.
1: Sounds like a big part of why Christopher Johnson was very much on board with the Joe Douglas hire is that Gase was championing him, and the potential for harmony there between Gase and Douglas, who had worked together in the past in Chicago— really appealed to Christopher Johnson, who didn't seem to have the stomach for another Civil War like he had just watched with McCagnon and Bowles and then McCagnin and Gase, right?
0: Yeah, that definitely played into it. The peace of mind that he gets knowing that where if they had hired somebody else who didn't have that relationship with him, he might start uh, being worried about that right from the jump. Now, obviously, they they spent a year together in Chicago. Uh, So it's not like they're... Or childhood friends that grew up with each other. They're, it's possible that they could uh, have friction in the future, but you've got to feel and figure that at least for the first year or two, it'll be peaceful and calm between them. There won't be too many blowups, especially for the re- remainder of this season when there's not that much left for Joe Douglas to really do. So that's a huge thing. And then the other thing, and I can't stress this enough, it, it's, you, I cannot find a single person that has a single bad word to say about this guy. He is, like, I've continually talked about how well-liked and respected he is, but nobody is saying a bad word, uh, like, anything close to it about him. And that is something that's rare, uh, that especially in a league like this. You're going to have people uh, being snippy and back, uh, saying things behind people's backs. And the fact that you can't find that with this guy is something that that really, really appealed to Christopher Johnson.
1: One thing he had to have been pleased with is that, according to Manish Mehta of the Daily News, he is going to have control of the 53-man roster. So obviously, Adam Gase, who we know likes to have control, is going to jockey with Douglas from time to time. But as per the contract and the terms in it, it looks like Douglas is going to be the last word on the roster
0: yeah I'm not hundred percent sure on that I haven't really heard that i've uh, still heard that they're going to you know it it's they're going to work together on it uh so we'll we'll see uh I don't have any information towards the contract though any of that so i will uh, happily defer to Benicia on this but from from what I've been told that they're going to work closely together with it which is Exactly what they're going to say in the press conference. Like No matter what they do, even if they come out and say that Joe Douglas has total control, they're also going to turn around and say, but we're going to work closely together on it.
1: Speaking of that, when is the presser? Do we know yet?
0: We do not know yet. Uh, My guess is that they'll probably just wait until Tuesday. We have Mm -hmm. practice on Tuesday, so they'll probably just wait until then. Maybe bring us in a little bit early before practice or have us do it afterwards.
1: That would be very convenient for us, Chris, because we're going to tape a podcast recapping practice. So it could be two birds, one stone.
0: Yeah, that would be great. And then if we have a boring practice, it won't matter too much because we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about.
1: Exactly. Bam Bam Douglas is on the scene, and he is going to make for a very interesting general manager. There's a new sheriff in town for the next six years. At least, that's what his contract says, because it goes for six years, so if nothing else, he'll get paid for the next yeah, six Yeah, the money years. will come
0: in for six years, at least.
1: Exactly. So that was the piece of money he was looking for, but it is a new era here with the New York Jets. And for the first time in quite a while, you have got what on paper appears to be a harmonious situation the last time that you would have seen this would have been Mike Tannenbaum and Eric Mangini. And now that we know that Douglas is here, we know that everything is set up for him and Him and Gase are ready to work together. It's time for Joe Douglas to build his staff. And like you said, Chris, a big part of this holdout or the delay in him getting signed was that he wanted to make sure that he had the money to hire the staff that he wanted. Some interesting names are leaking out. ESPN's Todd McShay confirming to his colleague, ESPN New York's Rich Samini that he is indeed under consideration for a personnel job with Joe Douglas. The two of them have long-standing ties. The McShay thing, oddly enough, was first reported by somebody who's not exactly known for reporting. He's known more for just overall sports content, and that is Dave Portnoy, who is the head honcho over at Barstool Sports. He knows McShay because they went to high school together, so connect the dots there, and that's where he got the information. So it looks like McShay is in contention. We're also hearing Phil Savage. Take me through those two names and whoever else you're hearing about.
0: Yeah, uh, McShay. was funny because I, when I saw that, my first initial reaction was to roll my eyes and laugh. And it's not even anything against McShay. It's just, why is it every single time like we go straight to media guys now? Like it's, <laughs> it's every time a GM job gets opening, it seems like we go to a media guy first. So I kind of rolled my eyes at it. Then Rich uh, reported that, and of course, obviously that that's the case and it makes sense uh mcshay was a quarterback at richmond and uh joe douglas was an offensive tackle in front of him so they know each other real well um phil savage is another guy that they're considering and then uh chad alexander a uh an exec with the the ravens and obviously uh, joe douglas spent all that time a decade and a half in baltimore so they have a, a relationship there. So he; these are the people that he's looking to bring in and uh, to, to work with, people he has a familiarity with. These are the people that he wanted to make sure got paid. I don't know what exact roles all these people are being considered for because if... If you're telling me right now that these if someone was telling me right now that these three guys were being considered for three different roles, then I'd tell you that these three guys are all gonna end up getting a job. Uh if then if they're competing for there's some competition between them, competing for one or two jobs, then we'll have to wait and see which ones will win out. But Douglas had already had in his mind who he wants. He's Again, this has been talked about for a long time. He's been building the staff, at least in theory, putting it uh, penciled in. He knows exactly who he wants. These guys' names getting thrown out there isn't a coincidence.
3: Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint
1: There were people that were not understanding why I don't want Todd McShay here, and I will criticize that move if it happens, saying, well, what's the difference between Daniel Jeremiah and Todd McShay? And it's like you said, Chris, I think people think that anybody on TV is the same as anybody else on TV. Daniel Jeremiah, as we both know, was a successful scout for the Baltimore Ravens before going to NFL Network. Todd McShay has never worked in the NFL or college football to the best of my knowledge. So it's a completely different situation on top of the fact that I personally think that Daniel Jeremiah's evaluations are far superior to those of Todd McShay.
0: Yeah, see that part that part. Every single thing you said is right and correct, but that last part is the part that I, where I'm like, yes, I completely agree, because yes, uh, Daniel Jeremiah has the front-off experience, the, the scout experience, he's, he has more familiarity there, but I just think he's better at evaluating talent than McShay, and that's, of course, not to say that J- Daniel Jeremiah hasn't had his share of misses here and there, too, but his at least the reasoning behind his misses make more sense to me and mcshay is is too much i have to be careful here because if he does get the job i don't want to sound like i'm just destroying him before he comes in here but so much of his work leading up to the draft seems it comes off way more as he's changing his thoughts and grades on players based on what he's being told mm-hmm. more than what he's being, he's seeing himself. And that's well, all well and good when you're a reporter, But you're going to come in and you're going to be responsible for evaluating talent and making decisions yourself. Uh, He's not going to be able to have access to that same exact information. Those same, you know, he's not going to be able to lean on scouts around the NFL uh, the league to uh, to give him that information anymore. He's the enemy. He'd be the competition. He would still have obviously the pipeline and connection that he has with all the colleges and ends with college coaches. So he be able to. That would be something where he he could you know have an advantage over a lot of people. That part I understand. But his again his scouting always always seemed more to lean on what other people were telling him more than what he's actually saw himself. And uh, I just I, I trust someone like Daniel Jeremiah as a as a player evaluator. Much more than I trust Todd McShay, so that's why with Jer- Daniel Jeremiah, I, I was all fully on board. Made all the sense in the world to me. He i going to have some questions. It depending on exactly what his role is, and then not just the title, but what they do. If if they're hiring him basically just for those college connections and to have used that part of his him, then that's perfectly fine. But if they're hiring him expecting him to do the heavy lifting scout wise player evaluation wise Uh, i i don't know unless joe douglas made sure he got enough money that he could pay all those scouts he's been talking to all these years i don't know that that's really the way that they wanted to go
1: this is the overtime podcast network the best way i can put it is i feel like daniel jeremiah is a scout And Todd McShay is a draft beat reporter. And there's nothing wrong with that because Mel Kuyper Jr. made a living doing it for a really long time and provided a valuable service, especially back before we had this plethora of draft information at our fingertips. He was our lifeline. He was the guy that was telling us what these people at the colleges and the scouting ranks thought based on gathering information. And there's definitely a role for that. But I don't know that that role is with an NFL team.
0: Yeah, like we just said, there is that role with the the college pipeline stuff to be able to get, uh, you know, detailed information from people within uh, the the coaching staff on teams. He has God knows how many great relationships with those people at the universities. So, you know, just think of something like Rosen coming out a, a couple years ago and there's all the stories about... Uh, him you know him and his ego and his attitude and how he represents people the wrong way but then you had his players coming out or teammates coming out and defending him and backing him up well and he if he's sitting there he could just go and call somebody he knows at USC and be like all right explain to me what what the real story is here so there's certain value there again as if you're placing him too much uh, giving him too much uh evaluation work alone, that's where I'd be suspect.
1: We've heard some whispers that if Joe Douglas got the job, Champ Kelly and possibly even Terry Fontenot could be in consideration to be number two or number three in command. Anything there with your sources? Did anybody say that Kelly or Fontenot could be in the mix here? I haven't really heard
0: that. and you know, I've been skeptical of that all along, only because, like I said, it, it's just every time... A hire comes in so to, to go into this idea where they want to create a super team of a ball. So I've been skeptical of it, but I really haven't heard anything along those lines. doesn't mean that it won't happen or it can't happen, but that's not anything I've been hearing.
1: The only reason that I thought it could happen with Champ Kelly is because he has ties to both Gase and Douglas, because remember, he worked with Douglas in Chicago and also worked with Gase in Chicago, so that's where I thought it could actually be the rubber meeting the road, but I guess we'll have to wait and see if more whispers pop up about it.
0: Yeah, but I also kind of think he knows that Douglas is off the market now, and he's one of, he's been the, the hot name around there, so he moves up a notch right now. Uh, you know, obviously the Texans go with a if you say his name, from, from New England, or they go with Pioli, uh, then he won't get that job. But he's probably thinking right now that I'm the next guy at the top of the list. So I don't need to make a move, even if it's a little bit of a promotion. I don't need to make something even remotely close to a lateral move right now. Well, I can just sit here and wait it out, and then I will probably get one of the next GM jobs to open up because he's, he's at the top of that list. You're going to hear his name uh, mentioned a lot, and I won't be surprised at all if, if you, you hear it a bunch uh, every time that any new GM opening comes up.
1: Going to be a fascinating story because the GM search is over, but now the search for the key pieces to surround that general manager goes into full swing. We'll see how this develops, whether Champ Kelly, Todd McShay, Phil Savage, Chad Alexander, any of those guys ends up here with Joe Douglas. But we do know that Joe Bam Bam Douglas is the head man now And he is going to be here for six years or, like we said, at least get paid for six years. Chris, I guess we are going to save those mailbag questions for another time because this ended up being a standalone episode. Again, this is what happens when news breaks. So we will have plenty of questions to answer. Don't worry if you sent in your questions for the mailbag this weekend. We will answer them next weekend. Do not worry about it. They're going to be answered. We just had to delay it because, obviously, when news breaks, we have to get to that first. Chris, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Before you go, why don't you let everybody know how they can follow you on social media and what you got cooking over at JetsInsider.com.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Scott. Uh, You can find me uh, on Twitter at CNimbly and at JetsInsider, and you can find my work at JetsInsider.com as We'll see, like I said, if when the Douglas Presser is. If it's Tuesday, then we'll bring you stuff on that from then. Everything that he says, I definitely plan on asking him his opinion on analytics, which is about to be a, a point of contention for some people. And then um, if uh, if, it, if it's not till Tuesday, if we don't have a press on Monday, I'll have a, an article on Monday up about him and everything leading up uh, uh, how it led up to him and how he's been the guy all along. So Uh, You can look out for that on Monday. I'll have a bunch more stuff. And then, of course, reports from practice on Tuesday and Thursday as well.
1: Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter. Go to JetsInsider.com. We're going to have plenty of coverage all throughout the week. Remember, we're starting our in-depth series with Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Where we're going to talk about some of his biggest controversies. But we're also going to learn a lot about him as a person in addition to him as a reporter. So that's going to start this week. We're going to be talking about Joe Douglas's time in Baltimore I've got people that are going to come on and discuss his time there. Remember, he was there for 16 years, so the bulk of his work in the NFL was done in Baltimore. Worth learning a lot about that, so that'll happen this week. Chris and Daryl Slater will both be on to talk about OTAs, plus we'll obviously have coverage when the Joe Douglas presser comes. So a lot of stuff going on this week, and you know that it's all going to happen in your go-to place for New York Jets podcasts. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.